You're about to hear a conversation between myself and Chris Sansone, a fellow Hoffman teacher. Our interview is really the story of his relationship with his spirit and how with each crossroad that he endured, that connection got stronger and stronger and more and more pure. At the end of our interview, he shares a poem that just came out of him as he surrendered deeply to his spirit. Literally, he lay down on the floor, took a pen to a paper, and boom, this poem came out of him. So I recommend listening all the way so that you get to hear this poem because it is powerful and profound. And for any of us that are listening that are in current crossroads or times of changes, or maybe on the recent other side of a crossroad, this interview is a beautiful reminder of how important those moments are on our larger journey. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Chris as much as I did. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Sharon Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And on this podcast, we talk to Hoffman graduates about how their courageous journey inward impacted their personal lives, but also how it impacted their community and the world at large. So tune in and listen in and hear how our graduates' authentic selves, how their love, how their spirits are making a positive impact on our world today. In other words, get to know their love's everyday radius. All right, Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Sharon. It's really nice to be here with you. Always nice to connect with you, Chris. Thank you. So, Chris, let's let's start with Hoffman, since that is our connection here. When were you a student of the process, and what was going on in your life that got you there? I was a student in November 2013. It was the last of the original format of the process and since has been rejuvenated. So I've gotten two pictures of the process. And what, what was going on in your life? What led you to come to the process? Lots. Um, in one way and like nil in other ways. Uh, lots of change, tremendous change. I had raised three children. One was a uh, stepson that came into my life when he was 10, but uh, most closely to my two sons. And they had basically moved up and out on their own or were just right on the cusp of it. I had gone through some career change, recession hit. I was in a very difficult place in my life, relationally as well. So in all facets, except for my good physical health, I was I was really challenged, very challenged. Ooh, perfect for the Hoffman teacher. These are these are the kind of students we like to get. Yeah, it was. And did you hear of it through somebody who had gone through the process and you saw change in them, uh, or how did you how did you know? Oh, this is where I need to go. This is what I need to do for myself right now. Well, it came in two waves, very close. Uh, in terms of source, at one of our, I've been in a men's group uh, some now 20 plus years. And uh, one of the members had said, Hey, I heard about this process, Hoffman process. It's, and he, he almost used the tagline, it's when you're serious about change. And he said, Here's really intense and very effective. So one of the other guys 
I'm sure I can uh, confidently share his name. Drew Horning went to the process and he said, he came back and he says, you got to go. This holds all of what you hold so dear in your life and you got to do this. So he helped me to make it possible to go to the process. Wow. And so since you're a teacher, I'm assuming this was a very impactful week for you to be a Huffman at the process. Because I was a teacher? No, I'm just saying because you were, I mean, the fact that you were a teacher, I'm assuming the Huffman process was indeed impactful and, and caused the change you were hoping for. It did. It was so impactful. And like I said, I was so ready for it. And I was so eager for change. I was very open to whatever was going to be offered or suggested that we try or do or experience. It was, in the end, not only during the week, but certainly for the rest of my life, highly influential in my happiness, becoming happy. Is there a moment where if you think back the process, a moment, a pivotal or magical moment where, ah, that's where one of these like memories that you have from the process, or was it just kind of in general? Well, there, yeah, there were two of them actually. Uh, the well, maybe three, but the first one, most immediate in my recall, was when we were doing some visioning, as we do throughout the process. And then, following visioning, is an opportunity to write and reflect on the vision that we had during our guided visualization. It came to me in that moment, sitting out there on what was our site at White Sulphur Springs. I was on the lawn, and uh, and I thought of my future and what would i do this is a big question is where do i go from here how do livelihood and making the best use of my talents and skills so i was in, really involved in that question and boom it came to me i'm going to be a hoffman teacher shortly after i called liza and she said you know for the first time in seven years we're recruiting recruiting for new teachers so put your name in and we'll we'll get back to you I pestered her. I called her about once a week and said, how are we doing? How are we doing? She said, I got it. You know, she's so kind. Oh, my God. But she let me know in no uncertain terms. I'm tracking you. We're good. And it, one thing led to the other. And voila, I got into my internships, my teacher training and internships. Yeah. Wow. So you had the vision of becoming a teacher while you were a student in the process. Yes. I was doing related work. I was doing leadership development. We were uh, taking a CTI model of coaching and bringing it into corporate governmental agencies. I was doing some work with the Federal Reserve Bank out of uh, Kansas City and their Denver and other locations, their, their branches and other locations with the National Center for Atmospheric Research. Um, we were doing quite a bit of work with the Ag Department at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and other commercial Xilinx Corporation and other for-profit organizations. So I was, I was accustomed to training, teaching, coaching. I intimated that I was a coach through CTI. I was certified through CTI. So I had all these, this background, but boy, watching these Hoffman teachers and experiencing that was a whole new level of depth that I was drawn to. A quick aside is I was just in complete admiration and how this team of five people could pull off this week of activity in such structure and clarity. Having done this similar kind of work, as I said, but their effectiveness was incredible. I had, I had such a similar experience where it's like I had a moment where I looked at them just with like heart-opening 
gratitude that they invest so much in my experience of being there that week. And it is, now that I've been a teacher, it's just a beautiful coming together of humans who want to work with people, but also the production level is really fantastic. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. That that combination of the tenderness, openness, firmness, and guiding, and the clarity, and the production side of it was, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. The fact that they're there and they're committed for seven days, it just was stunning to me. I know. Hoffman teachers are cool people. <laughs> okay, so you said there's three moments. So that's one of them. What are the other two? Well, the other two were really around understanding my father's childhood in a, a way, in a depth, and a, a compassionate manner that I never saw before. I had a lot of resentments toward my father, but also a lot of love. So I was constantly struggling between, do I love this man or do I reject this man? And back and forth. Finally, when I could see him as a 12-year-old child and understand what he was facing, his family system and all of that, the, the times he was born in 1931, and understanding all of that, I had this moment of tenderness toward my father, compassion that I never had experienced before. And then the second one came with my mother, where I'd struggled to forgive, forgive, you did the, did so much, and went to that experience now up the road from White Sulphur Springs. And I remember how simple it was to release through forgiveness. And it was like, oh, of course. And it was one of those just, oh, how easy this is. Or you could say it's magical, but certainly transformational. I accepted my mother for being a human on her own path, separate from mine, that I could then stand back and evaluate and meet with love instead of judge and condemn or reject or get confused. I just said, oh, here's this woman. Here's me. I can love her. I can be separate from those patterns I learned from her and understand her. That was so simple. So simple. Did you have the luxury of coming back to your life? Were they still alive? They were. Oh my God. And that that would point in the direction of like, how did this endure? Quick vignette of both instances with my father and my mother, where I went real time with my forgiveness directly with them. With my father, I called him. Uh, Joseph Sansone is a, you know, he's first generation Sicilian, both parents from Sicily, and I spoke Italian in the home. And so he was, you know, he kept the cards close to the vest with just about everything. And I called him and I said, Dad, I've been at a retreat and um, I've been doing some thinking about our relationship. And I could hear, you know, the long pause, like, okay. And I said, I have something I want to read to you. In the past, I had met with him. He was so generous to meet with me as a therapist and clear some of the air on, on things that you know, grievances I had toward him. So I imagine he's thinking, okay, here we go again, right? I read him the letter that I wrote at the process and continued to write after. He's long pause. He says, I want you to do me a favor. I said, yes, dad, what's it? He says, I want you to read my eulogy. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll do that. And what, like 15 years later, he died. And I read, I did his eulogy at his life celebration event we held. It was really special, really beautiful. So when he responded that way, what was it like for you? Connection, love, relief, 
in such a beautiful way, like, okay, finally. You know, there's all this sort of maneuvering and guessing and withholding or avoiding, you know, trying to be close and all of the kind of machinations that can come in a lifelong relationship. And it became simple in that moment for both of us. How uh, luxurious and lucky that you had the opportunity to close that and still have 15 years together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That endured. And as I mentioned, there was another experience similar with my mother where I had written the letter. I had it on this day on my car seat. This is some two weeks, maybe three weeks after the process. I kept thinking, I need to call mom and read her this letter. I'd gone to a doctor's appointment, come out, and just as I'm about to get in the car, I look down on the ground, there's a penny heads up on the pavement. I said, oh, there's a good luck, you know. Stuck in my pocket, get my car, my phone's on the seat, and it's ringing, you know, the, the call's from mom. And there's the letter, and I go, okay, it's go time. So she got on and made a similar introduction, mom. Yeah, I went to a retreat, did a lot of thinking about our relationship, and I have something I want to read to you, and I get here, you know, audible gulp, like, oh, you know, like most my father anticipating the worst, I'm you know, get the admonitions or whatever. I started reading it to her, and I was about three sentences in it, and she couldn't restrain her emotion. She was so elated. If I could see her, I knew I could see the expression in her eyes, and when I had that moment of great release of tension between the two of us. And I too, I've broken into tears. And five minutes later, I've completed reading her the letter. And she just kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And she said, will you, will you send me a copy? And I you know, absolutely did that. I did that for both my parents. That was life-changing. Both those instances was life-changing. And really, I'd done all the work for that, all the preparation to create that kind of change by the process. I have to admit, I'm a little teary over here. It's amazing being teachers. You and I are are Hoffman teachers, and this never is the same story. It never gets old. It always goes to such a deep level to be in the presence of somebody who closed this loop and then had, I don't know how many years, it doesn't matter, left to be in deep profound connection with their parents in our bodies in this lifetime. Like you said, it's a relief. The way you painted it is so relatable of, do I love him? Do I reject him? Do I, eh? all that extra energy and suddenly poof, it's gone. And we're just in connection with these really important people in our lives. It moves me to tears. Well said. That's as simple as it gets and as it should be with compassion and love. Yeah, thank you. I'm curious if uh, you have grown grown kids. Have they gone through the process? Have you been on the receiving end of this? I've gently nudged the other son that you should try this. And he's open to it. He says, you know, someday in his life, he's going to probably do it. I've been lifelong friends with Drew Horning. We always knew him as Andy before he became a teacher. This son knew Andy when he was four years old. So we go back a long way. My son's now 27. He goes, well, I guess I don't have a choice because of you and Andy. You know, it was tongue in cheek. But uh, yeah, he's had that influence. He'll go eventually, I think. Yeah. And in due time, everybody's on their own path. I think about how I was 
40 when I went. And, and I don't think I was ready any earlier as much as I would have. I don't wish, but I see sometimes younger folks coming through the process. And in a way, they want to fast forward some of the learning that happens by just being around in life in our 20s and in our 30s. And so I, I think everybody's on their own schedule. And I think it's perfectly, you know, it's okay for him to come later on in life too. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no pressure. You know, that's what not to do. I've learned that. Then. Yeah. No pressure, son, if you're listening. Yes, exactly. We're good. Now, you mentioned something um, when you, before you even came to the process, you had already been in leadership and in coaching and in training. And obviously there's a party that likes to work with people, whether it be the Hoffman teacher or beforehand. Can you tell me a little bit about what was your journey before you even got to Hoffman? Before I did a midlife shift, I was 38 years old and decided this, I can't do this. I was in commercial real estate um, consulting and, and advising and that landscape itself. So nothing but promise and continued financial growth and opportunity. I was highly qualified. I was a certified appraiser in uh, nine states. I would. I had pr professional credentialing. I was a senior member of the American Society of Appraisers. I was. I had a master's degree in valuation sciences. Highly qualified, but I wasn't happy. And I decided I need to change. I need to do something else. And I knew from my very first job out of college that it had to do with human services and really providing growth opportunities, mental health, uh, coaching, whatever it might be. That calling never left me. I was always in cahoots with myself about getting back, getting back. And I tried to assert that through management and providing, you know, humane management systems and advanced management systems in our company, but it, it wasn't enough. So I found this doctoral program at the Fielding Institute and decided to go for it. And I went for a, a doctoral degree in human and organization systems. It was fantastic. And during that time that I was doing that, I also certified to administer the Myers-Briggs. I, I trained in mediation and I completed my certification with the, what's now called the Coactive Training Institute. Back then it was Coaches Training Institute or CTI. And I completed that coaching certification. And then a couple of years after graduating, I met up with some folks who were launching this new offering into the corporate field. The coaching was emerging. And uh, we were able to create a leadership development program based on coaching skills and coaches using this to develop others and support others. And it was wonderful. We formed a partnership, the three of us, and did a lot of high-level work with some high-level folks. And it was great for a while. And then that wasn't enough. I thought, there must be more. I don't want to go into too much of the detail of it all, but long and short of it was I later became a sole entrepreneur facing the recession in 2008. Oh, it was like an egg drop on the floor. All of a sudden, it just ain't happening. Life became very, very difficult. I had mentioned that my sons had emancipated from our care. They were moving out on their own. I was alone, very alone, no relationship. I had ended a marriage, a second marriage, and was very frustrated, you know, very down, very down. I saw very little opportunity. And then along comes the Hoffman process. My life shifted. Do you feel like this kind of dark 
phase of being alone and frustrated and down, did it provide space for some clarity? I mean, here's what I hear is you had this successful career that had all the things that people might think would make you happy. This trajectory of growth, this success, all these certifications, all these qualifications, more, 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 and it wasn't enough. And you had the courage to leave. Then you went and did something else. Okay, human services. I did this and I was in leadership development, but still something in you, something kept saying, this isn't enough. This isn't enough. There's something else like knocking on the door for you. And then boom, this crisis Absolutely. Yeah, the crisis. It's, I'm a firm believer in we have these precipitating moments for change in our life. And that the moments, like you said, they could come like a knock, knock, you know, it might be knock, knock, knock. And then if we pay attention and we're responsive to those, and sometimes we can get well ahead of them so we don't even hear the knock, knock, but that we move in a direction of our inclinations and, and we don't need those precipitating events to awaken us. But sometimes those, if we keep ignoring them long enough, those precipitating events become like a two by four on the side of the head, you know, or a whack on the side of the head, then the two by four, and then really more catastrophic things happen health-wise, financially. And I think I was so overdue that I was getting the whack on the side of the head, the two by four, all of that waking me up and saying, Chris, you have to change and pay attention to this part of you that is calling to you. Listen. There's messages here that you're ignoring or convoluting or not trusting. Listen, understand. And that's what the process helped me to do so well was to find ways more deeply into that part of myself. I'd been doing a pretty good job of it before I started awakening to it. The, the I Ching, for example, the, the ancient Chinese oracle really helped me to understand and to frame my experiences in ways that were very human and spiritual at the same time. So I didn't simply dismiss as whatever. I had a framework for understanding them. Also met a wonderful medium who was a very close friend, and she helped me tremendously. And a lifelong meditator. I've been meditating since I was 18. Immersing in those things is what helped me to become clearer and clearer and more aligned and more aligned with who I truly am. And so I can say now I'm firmly on my path and I don't get those knock-knocks or whack on the side of the head as much, but the precipitating events still come. It's part of being human, right? So if I'm hearing you correctly, um, there was a phase in life where you weren't as connected. So it kind of was the knock and then it progressed to the two by four and then progressed to the whack. But now because of all the work you've done, starting from when you were 18, mind you, you've been committed to this path for a long time. At this point, obviously our soul, our spirit keeps talking to us, but you have managed to find a way to listen to it long before it gets to the two by four and the whack on the head. Did I? Is that correct what I heard? That's right, yes. And to have more dimension in the way that I connect to it. Listening closely to my spirit. The spirit has such a resonance, but it's at a different frequency than our rational, logical minds and even our compassionate hearts are often attuned to. And so we miss it. It's in stillness. Stillness can happen when we're walking or we're on an airplane or whatever it might be. But if we create those moments of stillness and connect to 
the wisdom flows. And that's what I've been able to do and not get the whole answer at once. Like, okay, what do I do now? And how do I strategize? Not that it doesn't get that complicated. It's much more pure. And being able to resonate with that frequency and speak and have a dialogue with that spirit within us that's connected to the greater divine source and connecting with that, that's what I've been learning to do. And I do it through meditation. I do it through yoga. I just did it when I was out jogging. I do it now through writing and allowing my writing to be led by that frequency rather than sit down and go, okay, I'm going to plot this all. I'm going to outline this. The book's going to be like this. I tried that. Whack on the side of the head. Not working. I've published two scholarly articles and peer-reviewed journals and blah, blah, blah. But that ain't this. This is much different. Much different. Sounds a little like the intellect snuck its way in there. So what, what is this? Well, tell me more about this uh, thing that you're writing right now. Oh, I'm writing a book. The title of it begins with the word longing. That each of us has within us a call that is constant. will never go away. will never be solved for in this lifetime. And that our responsibility is to connect to that longing. Sometimes we feel it as melancholy or a wistful, wishful, a tug and a pull of, of loneliness, that kind of feeling that seems to come from a void within ourselves. And we often respond to it or react to it with solutions. I'll solve for that. I'll go have a beer or I'll get a new relationship or I'll go buy that house that's perfect and we'll be on the lakefront and blah, blah, and it's all going to do it. And we keep trying to solve for it instead of being with it and embracing that this can never be solved. This is our condition. Our human condition is one of calling and responding, calling and responding to that and not trying to solve for it or make it go away because, as I said, it never will. Touching into that longing can be our source of inner leadership. And I believe that's our spirit calling to us in conjunction with our soul. Our soul's on a path. We attune to our soul by attuning to our longing. Because we're here to complete something. It might be more than one thing. Each of us has a purpose. Many of us have missions. But we are here to complete either or both of those. And it's only by attuning to What's going on at that deeper level? Pay attention to your longing. It's even painful sometimes. But attuning to the pain is important. Pain is wonderful. And I don't mean to be like, you know, say this masochist kind of, let's suffer through life. But pain is a reminder that we are of our suffering. And that suffering has this connection to our longing. And it's calling us inward. And that you and I were talking about, you know, when you don't pay attention to that, you get the little knock-knock, and you get eventually the whack of the side of the head or the bigger things that come. That's the pain accentuating. We have these dark night of the souls when we forget ourselves. That's not attuning to the pain. Once we start attuning to the pain, then the pain leads us to where we need to heal. And that's the call of the soul. So I've, I've learned it to be. 
So rather than try to respond with a solution, which might mean to stop feeling it, to distract or whatever it might mean, rather than doing that, or even give it meaning like, oh, this is painful. I don't want to feel this. I'm going to go feel. Rather than doing that, we respond. So can you give me an example? Because it sounded like this longing is our window into something. And if we learn to, up, oh, there it is again, I'm going to respond. Up, oh, there it is again, I'm going to respond. What does a response look like? Wow, that's a great question. And, and it, I'll just start by answering in sort of a general sense that each of us has our own way, right? Each of us has our own pain felt uniquely. It's often circumstantial. You know, if we look back to childhood or we look back to a catastrophe or something that occurred in our life, a failed relationship. And so we can tie it to sort of sources or causes, but it's uniquely crafted. It has been tailored. Those experiences have been tailored for the kind of pain we need to attend to what needs to heal within us. You know, soul comes here to become more and more complete. If I attend to that unique pain within me, then I can heal. And then there might be another one that comes. But the way in can be like, I'm trying to give you an example. I have had this opportunity to learn to trust. I really think trust is one of my main purposes in this lifetime, is to learn to trust and be trusted. And that can extend to all kinds of avenues of life. Most fundamentally, it's to trust my spirit. And I need to trust my spirit. So I've had my trust violated early on in childhood. And I was violated deeply around trust. So I learned to be suspicious, cautious, secretive, and avoid anything that had to do with having to trust or be trusted. I was, I would, you know, learned to be hyper attentive at 12 years old and control my environment or attempt to. And yet that wasn't enough. That was good to get through and survive. But then to keep doing that, of course, doesn't pay well, doesn't work well, doesn't pay off for us. And speaking for myself, as I age, it has an obsolescence to it. So the more that I understand that, oh, what's this about? I have this unique pain that repeats itself in my relationships. And it repeats itself in my connection to myself and my spirit. Oh, what is this under? It has to do with trust. I had my trust violated as a child. That called me into healing at a deep, deep level that I think superseded me being this human in this form. I really think it had to do with my soul, getting my attention to say, we need to really learn this thing called trust. And I got to do it. I'm getting to do it in this lifetime. It's almost like your soul came into this life knowing it needed to learn this lesson. And then these circumstances happen to force you to learn the lesson. And it sounds like this thing you painted of like, okay, I protected myself and did all this stuff. That was the solution, which worked for a, a minute or, you know, metaphorically speaking, until it didn't work. And now what you're doing is you're responding. Oh, is this what it looks like to trust? Let me respond in this way. Is this what it looks like? Is this what it feels like? And slowly, slowly, next thing you know, you have a relationship that has deep trust or you are being trusted in your work or et cetera, et cetera. Did I, did I get that correctly? Yes. Perfect. Thank you, Sharon. Yeah. Well, it's very relatable because, you know, it's, it's interesting because in a way you're, you're re-educating us to what our semantics, what, what is the emotion that we have behind the word longing? And in a way 
you're challenging us to look at it differently and go into it because this is the doorway. Don't associate longing as a negative thing. When you first said longing, I was like, ooh, you kind of have now gotten me kind of curious, like, well, oh, wow, that's exciting. I should pay attention because it seems to me through this longing, you got to the core, 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 core journey for you in this life, which is around trust and being trusted. Yes, you summarized it so well. And and, th- and that was my first reaction to the word longing. It was coming to me in the writing. And I said, well, isn't this like problematic? You know, we end up lonely or, or melancholy or it doesn't mean we're depressed or something. We're always longing. No, it's not. To reject it is the opposite of surrendering to spirit. That is surrendering to spirit and saying part of being human is I long. I long for something. And it's like, you know, when you go on a, an adventure, maybe exploring a new country or going on a hike or, or whatever, my road trip, and you have that longing, I want to find a place like that. You get the ideas in your, in your mind and you start to, and then you move in that direction and you go there and you go, oh yeah, so I've had that. Now I got to find another place. And it gets to be cool because it's and, and exciting and, and enthralling and enrolling. That's what I'm talking about. That life can be like that. And there's always that bit of little bit of tug, that longing, or sometimes it's more than a little bit. It's just a big yank that says, here, here, look here, enjoy this. Go for it and enjoy it. Explore it. And when you say it comes to me through the writing, tell me what you mean when you say that. Well, the rational mind, the intellect jumps ahead and says, oh, here's what this is going to be about. Let's do our research and boom, boom, boom. I had this notion I was going to write this book. And I had it all figured out. It was going to be around the human developmental sequence, the stages of development, and the states that we encounter spiritually to ascend those levels of development. And so there's states and stages. We have moments of change, an awakening, or a, a crisis, or something that happens, or love in a relationship. We go, boy, that was a beautiful state of being. I want to cultivate more of that in my life. The more and more that we practice those states, the more and more we secure our movement into higher stages of consciousness. I figured I'd write this out in a scholarly manner, and I'm doing my research, and it, it was became very hard, very difficult, until I started yielding to, all right, I don't know shit. And it was during COVID, perfect. I'm not going anywhere. One night, I just took a tablet of paper and a pen. I laid down on my floor. Got away from the computer, got away from all the research books, and just laid there and go, okay, what? I was a little bit, you know, indignant. Grab my pen, just let it sit there until it started moving. And then it started writing. It seemed like nonsense at first, but I started writing a poem. And I wrote this poem out. And then I said, oh, well, what? And it started to make sense. It's kind of cool to write that poem. And I said, what else could I write? And then I started writing more and it started flowing. And I said, huh, okay, that was cool. I filled up like nearly a tablet of paper. And then I said, I'm going to do this again. It was one of those states, right? I had a moment, a state like that. And it just kept coming and coming and coming. Some of it was nonsense if I read it and you know, logical, rational mind. The more that I did it, the more that I started seeing a symmetry or a revelation in the writing that I could then make it palatable and understandable for the intellect, the rational mind. So I didn't try to force that too much, but just be open to what was evolving and trusting that 
trust, right? Trust. This is total trust, like pen on a tablet of paper and let's see. And my trust began escalating, becoming more and more powerful and stable. And then I'm, now I'm having more and more fun with it. Can I read you the poem that I wrote? Yes. So here's what first came. It is time. You know it. I know it. Why delay? Just this. Fear, shame, rage, immobility, condemnation, self-destruction. Don't dance with these characters. They're not worthy of your God within. See them. Know them. Welcome them into your house there to find peace. Undress them. Remove their mask. To become naked. Exposed. Freed from deception. In servitude to the inevitability of empathy, compassion, forgiveness, and love of you as will your true nature surrender to an unseen process. And it did. It does, and it continues. This is a perfect example of how to do what you're calling longing, right? There was a party that longed to tell the story, that longed to talk about the states and the spirituality. And then when you finally leaned in and said, ah, oh, okay, kind of indignantly like, what is it? Boom, this poem comes out. That was a call and you responding. That was you trusting. And now again, another call and you responding. And again, another call and you responding. I don't know how many chapters you now have, but this is the expression of this longing that is expressed through a calling and a response, a calling and a response, a calling and a response. That's really beautiful. Yeah, thanks, Sharon. That's wonderful. I appreciate that. The other thing I see in your journey is your strengthening and clarifying your connection to spirit. It started when you were 18. And then you had little mini moments when you had the courage to leave the job that had all the money and all the bells and whistles and trust something else and go to school again. I don't know how old you were, but getting a PhD and all the coaching and the Myers-Briggs and all that stuff one more time and then starting something else. But then it still wasn't enough. Okay. Another moment where spirits was talking to you and you listened and so on and so forth. And here you can see, if I saw a graph, you can just see how that channel just got pure and strong strong and clean. And here you are with a clearly much stronger connection to your own spirit. Well said. Thank you for that great summary. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's the path, you know, staying on that path, not looking for like the outside for answers, other people, uh, events, uh, finances, food, you know, all that's an important part of life. Absolutely. That's not where the answers are. Those are all just support for getting our answers. The answers are inside. We hold the wisdom. We hold the wisdom. When we listen and we know how to listen, the wisdom that's inherent in all of us, if it all came forward at once, it would overwhelm us. We would not be able to, to manage it. There is so much depth to each one of us. That's why it comes in trickles or sometimes flows. And to get it all at once would be completely overwhelming. Beautiful way to close. And, and I will say that for anybody listening who has had or is in these crossroads, let this be an inspiration. These crossroads are all feeding into something. They are all part of the journey. You know, in Chris's moment, he's in this moment where, ah, now it makes sense, but not all of us have gotten there. So may this be a kind of comforting message to us of, okay, continue on this path. I am on my path. This is the right path of listening. Well, Chris, thank you. What what an inspiration. And I know we just kind of touched the surface here, but but what an inspiration. And obviously this book sounds fascinating um, whenever it's complete 
And let's not get attached to that, right? We're not attached to that outcome. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. It, it will. Uh, it will be when it is. So we'll get it. We'll get it done. Yes. Right. But beautiful reframe for all of us and beautiful way to inspire us by sharing your journey and your crossroads and how spirit has always been there and when and how it showed up. So thank you, Chris. Well, thank you, Sharon. There's been a number of times when I've expressed gratitude for um, for your clarity. And I also just want to express once again my gratitude for your compassion and the safety. And I so trust you. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Oh, love you, Chris. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.